Hello and welcome to Author Chats, the Quarto Group's exclusive podcast for enlightening conversations with authors, editors, illustrators, and more. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I'm talking to Liz Lee Heineke, author of The Kitchen Pantry Scientist, Chemistry for Kids. Liz Lee Heineke has loved science since she was old enough to inspect her first butterfly. After working in molecular biology research for 10 years and earning her master's degree, she soon found herself sharing her love of science with her three kids as they grew, chronicling their science adventures on her Kitchen Pantry Scientist website. Her desire to share her enthusiasm for science led to regular TV appearances, an opportunity to serve as Earth Ambassador for NASA, and the creation of an iPhone app. The Kitchen Pantry Scientist Chemistry for Kids offers a series of snapshots of 25 scientists famous for their work with chemistry, from ancient history through today. A step-by-step illustrated experiment paired with each story offers kids a hands-on opportunity for exploring concepts the scientists pursued or are working on today. Experiments range from very simple projects using materials you probably already have on hand to more complicated ones that require a few inexpensive items you can purchase online. Let's chat with Lizzie Heineke. Hi, Liz, and welcome to Author Chats. I am so excited to talk to you today. Hi, Mel. I'm super excited to be here. I have so many questions for you that I think we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. Talk about who you are. You're an artist. You're also a scientist. How did you become an author for these lab books? But also, how did you sort of transition from lab scientist to home and kitchen scientist? Yeah, it's so funny. I'm kind of an accidental author. I've always loved science. I've always loved art. In college, I actually studied music too, but I graduated with an art major and a biology minor and quickly um, needed to get a job. So I went to work in a lab with my um, biology background, did that for 10 years, worked in several labs and got my master's degree in bacteriology when I was working in a lab in Madison, Wisconsin at the university there. And after working in a lab for 10 years, I, my husband and I decided to have kids, so we moved back to Minnesota. I had my, my oldest, my son Charlie, and tried staying at home, had three kids, and as I, I, I love science so much, I couldn't stay away from it. So I started doing science with them. It was kind of right when um, blogs were becoming popular, so I started writing about it, and one thing led to another, and eventually my publisher, Cory Books, contacted me and said, hey, would you ever be willing to write a book about at-home science for our family, um, hands-on family series. And I jumped at the opportunity and I've never looked back. I've been writing kid science books ever since. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about your creative process? It sounds like you find inspiration literally everywhere you go. I do. It's funny, actually. Um, I'm working on a new biology book that's sort of a, a sister book to the one I just wrote about chemistry. And for example, yesterday... I was thinking, okay, I want to, the, the next book's biology, I want to figure out if I can stain cells with anything, you know, safe stuff I have around the house. So I got an onion skin, I, I pulled off the little membrane, I soaked it in alcohol, I soaked it in, I tried food coloring, 
Eventually, I settled on um, iodine because iodine is really good at staining the the nuclei in um, cells. And then what's I'm looking around behind me. Oh, yeah. The other thing I'm writing about Louis Pasteur. So I have a project I wanted to do for, for him related to his work. So I was pulling out jars and straws and trying to rig together a swan necked flask, like the one that he used to show that that life doesn't just arise from nothing, that it actually, when when mold and bacteria grow on things, it actually comes from the air. So I read about scientists, I read about stuff, work they did, and I try to figure out, okay, how could I duplicate that in a way that, that kids could do it safely at home and make it fun? So that's sort of my creative process. I, I look at you know, exist. There are a lot of projects too, like you know, popping a popping a hard boiled egg into a bottle, or experiment where you break surface tension. Lots of these projects have been around for you know a hundred years, but lots of times you can take them um, and change them to make them relevant to like whatever whatever sort of scientific concept you're trying to to illustrate for kids. So it's just you know, it's just a crazy fun creative process. I really want to know what your favorite project from Kitchen Pantry Scientist is. Oh my gosh, I have so many favorites. But I would say from this new book, oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me such a hard question right now. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I like so many of them. But one of my favorites, I think, because it's so simple and so um, colorful and it's cool for kids of all ages, is the chalk chromatography project I have in here. Mm -hmm. And it just involves separating out colors. So basically, you take pieces of white chalk, you draw rings around one end of them, sort of maybe a centimeter from the bottom, and you set them in either, depending on what kind of ink you use, you set them in water or alcohol, and the water travels up through the chalk via capillary action. And like, for example, if you have, if you start with a green marker, the, the um, blues and yellows separate out from each other because the tiny particles travel faster than the bigger, more cumbersome particles. But you just it's fun to do it with a whole rainbow of colors at the same time and watch the water move up the chalk. And it just makes like, it's a beautiful, satisfying project that lets you do art and learn science at the same time. Let's say there's someone who is excited about doing one of these projects, but is a little bit wary of the mess it will make. I mean, you're a scientist, you're an artist, you're a parent, so you're probably used to having that mess. Are there any projects you can recommend that are a little less messy, but still super educational and fun to do? Yeah, I would say that any project can be less messy by just simply putting a cookie sheet down on (laughs) your kitchen table or whatever. You can contain messes. I would say that any of these projects in my book, can, you know, in any of my books can be contained by a cookie sheet. If it looks too messy, kids can go outside and do it, you know, on the sidewalk. I don't think that parents should worry so much about the mess because it can be contained. It's a good opportunity to teach kids to sort of clean up. So you let them do something again. So a project I could recommend in this, in my new chemistry for kids book that isn't too messy. Let's see. I'm flipping through. Tie-dye milk is one of my favorite ones. It's a surface tension experiment. Um, In my new book, I love it because I use it. It's a hands-on project related to the work of a woman named Agnes Pockles, who um, she was born in Italy in 1862, and she was not allowed to be a scientist because she was a girl. So while her brother went off to college, she had to stay home and take care of her parents. And she started doing science experiments in her kitchen sink, looking at how dish soap broke up the oils on the water and ended up inventing a device for studying surface tension, which is similar to some that are still used by scientists today. 
So kids can learn about her work by doing something as simple as putting a little bit of milk into a flat plate, dripping food coloring onto it, and um, the surface tension of the milk sort of keeps the food coloring in one place, but then if they put a drop of dish soap on it, it breaks the surface tension, and they can see how the milk, like, or the food coloring beautifully starts to move around in the milk. But that's that project can be contained on a plate. Like I said, if you put it on a cookie sheet, you won't get food coloring on anything. Everything It's safe. It's fun. Kids adore that project. And they can learn about an important woman scientist that, you know, very few people have ever heard of. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard of Agnes, so... Learning no, I mean, all the time. that's one thing I really wanted to do was in my, in these books I'm writing right now that the scientists, there'll be some scientists that everyone has heard of, like, you know, Marie Curie, but a lot of people, a lot of times there's name recognition for scientists too, but people don't know exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. And then also I've tried to bring some, some other scientists sort of out of the background who have done important work, but for whatever reason, we're not recognized for what they did. So it's been fun learning about all these amazing chemists. Yeah, and so you're basically learning as you you're learning as you put together materials for others to learn, which is oh, my amazing. whole life. All I do is learn while I write these books. You know, I'm a biologist, but um, and physics and chemistry are foundational for biology. But I don't remember a lot of these things, so I'm. It's been so good for my brain. I'm I'm relearning everything. Uh, my dad is a physicist, so. If I have questions, I go to him and he explains things to me that I don't remember or never knew how to do. That's one thing I think is so great about doing anything like this is that you're learning new things. You're sort of calling on old knowledge and re-remembering things. It's, it's really, it's really fun. I can just picture myself trying to remember things from my eighth grade biology class and it just would not go as well. <laughs> for me, for me, the biology, it's like, yeah, I got that. The, the chemistry and physics often, I'm like, oh man, I should have studied that harder back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You appear on television and TV segments all the time, but I heard recently that your dog made an <laughs> appearance. What can you tell me about that? Oh my gosh. So, so funny. I make, I make a lot of videos at the, the, we have sort of a counter by our back door. And, um, usually I remember to like have one of the kids, like put the dog on a leash and keep her out of the way. But I forgot to do that when I was doing a Skype session with, um, I do, I do, a um, science demonstrations on our, our local CBS station once every two weeks. So we were Skyping a session and Heidi decided, our dog Heidi, she's a German wire hair pointer, decided that that was a great time that she should go out in the backyard and chase rabbits. So she she jumped on the back door, and my my 17-year-old was, you know, trying to crouch down and, like, pull her away. But it was so distracting. I, luckily, it wasn't a live segment, so I was just said, oh, can we start over and, and put the dog on a leash and start it again? But it was funny. Our the people at that station are great and they were like, Oh, we love your dog. So I, I like it. It humanizes you, but yes, she's a biologist, but she's also a dog owner. Yeah. Lives in the same chaos as everybody yep, right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. Uh, I'm going to ask you another really hard hitting question. So prepare yourself. Okay. Um, I think this one's a very interesting question. If you, let's say you're stranded on a desert Island and you have one tool that you can bring with you, what tool would you bring? Like in going would, through your book, like what tools do you find you're just constantly using? Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, because I do kid science, baking soda, the scientific name is sodium bicarbonate. It is a base and vinegar is acetic acid, which is an 
obviously an acid. So when you combine the two of them, you make carbon dioxide bubbles. So that in itself is entertaining, but you can do so many experiments um, using baking soda and vinegar that those are always my go-to. Um, my other favorite thing is if you take a red cabbage, you take a head of it, you chop it up, you either boil it or blend it and save the juice. It makes this bright purple, um, bright purple solution with water. It's, it's an acid base indicator. So if you add a base like baking soda to it, it turns bright blue. If you add an acid to it, it turns bright pink. And then, um, you can make litmus paper with it. I have an experiment in my new book with it. You can, um, you can make paint out of it and then use that to paint on lemon juice or what it's just, Hours of fun. That sounds Red really cabbage. cool. I think those are all of the questions I have for you, except for my last sort of standard question, which is that a lot of our listeners are librarians, and I would love for you to share with them two things. Uh, one would be the first book you remember checking out of the library, and then the second question is what it means to you to have your book widely available to any kid who wants to learn experiments and play around with science. Oh, okay. That's great. So I've always been a bookworm, so it's hard to remember which book I checked out first. I get that first. answer a lot. But I, the one I really remember sitting and spending an hour probably trying, checking out and trying to get through the first page was uh, Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Oh, yeah. I, I loved those books as a kid. And it's really, really important to me because I do a lot of um, science outreach with schools and scout groups and you know, whoever I'm talking to, it's the most important thing for me to be able to say at the end of my, um, of my presentations is you can find my, my books at the library because for any kid who doesn't have the resources available to, to buy one of my books, I, I want them to be able to do, to go home. And really my hope is that I can get kids excited about science. I think it's so important for kids to do exploration at home, whether it's just taking a nature walk or whether it's pulling things out of the cupboard and mixing them together because science teachers at school are amazing and they try so hard, but they, they have limited resources. They have, have limited time. It's great for kids to do science at home when they, when none of their peers are around so they can feel free to make mistakes. I think one, another really important thing for kids to do is to make a lot of mistakes and, and realize that they can try it again and try something new um, and and just always ask them. And I always ask this, you know, in my when I'm talking to kids, like, what else could you try? What else could you try? So um, I think doing science, realizing that your life is a series of experiments and whether you're cooking in the kitchen or whether you're, um, you know, jumping rope or whatever you're doing, science is part of it. And um, just teaching kids to recognize that and, and to to be fearless in their explorations is I think really important. And then their amazing teachers can go on and teach them, you know, they can, they can delve deeper as they, as they progress in school. So I just hope to like spark kids interest. That's my goal. Yeah. I think that's, what's most interesting to me about what you do is the fact that, I mean, I could be wearing goggles and working on beakers and wearing a lab coat in class, but I could also just come home and raid my kitchen pantry and create experiments. Science is everywhere. And making, you know, making the projects widely available is just so important. Yeah. And it's really important to me to to just be a role model, just to look, uh, not to have always the lab coat and goggles on, to say it, 
you know, anyone can do science. You, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to look like the, the stereotype that you've grown up with, um, of a scientist. Anyone can be a scientist. Anyone can do science. It's approachable for everyone. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Author Chats. The Kitchen Pantry Scientist, Chemistry for Kids, is available worldwide, so please visit your local bookstore, library, or online retailer to find a copy for you and your readers. Enjoyed what you heard? Tell your friends. Share our podcast far and wide with colleagues by suggesting to subscribe to Author Chats on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever they listen to podcasts. And of course, we would love it if you left a review so others can enjoy too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music.